So today's sermon is called Undeniable Partnership. And the reason that I've entitled this is, as we've been going throughout this, through this Israelite series, there's just a question that I've had. Why didn't God, for example, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, would it not have been easier for him to just sort of transport them boop, out of Egypt in the promised land, right? Why did they have to go through the journey that they went through? He's fully capable and able to do that. Why didn't he do it? And then so, you know, when Maria was talking about how the Israelites were, um, I don't know if they were enslaved or whatever, in Babylon, and uh, again, they were there. And, and God didn't magically solve their problem. Though he's fully capable of doing that, he chooses not to. And there's this weird partnership that he wants to have with us where he brings something to the table and then he wants us to bring something to the table, right? We, we go through this relationship with him and there's a, there's a, a requirement that almost that he wants to see us, us work too. And I wondered why that is. Even uh, there's other stories in um, First Kings. First Kings, they're, they're, there's an evil king, right? And they're wondering how they should... Uh, <laughs> I don't think any of us will ever be in this position, but God is at a table. There's angels around him, and God is asking the angels, how should we kill this king, right? Because this king's, king's a problem. And so God's asking, how are we going to do it? But we get this image into heaven that God is at a table asking his creation what the best way to go about solving this problem is. I'm pretty sure God knows the best way, you know, to, to fix his own problem. But he's, even though he's able to do it by himself, he doesn't do it. As the story continues there, um, one angel pops up and says, I could do this. And God says, well, that's a bad idea. That would feel pretty bad. Okay. And then another angel pops up and says like, why don't I go and do it this way? And nah, I'm not really into that. Finally, a third angel comes up and says, well, I'll go and um, says, I'll be a deceiving spirit and do some things, and God's like, yeah, I like that. Let's go with it. There's this continuous picture in the Bible, even with Isaiah. God's asking Isaiah, um, and Isaiah gets this um, supernatural sort of presence into something that's going on in heaven. He gets to be in this vision. And in the vision, in the Isaiah, God's asking angels again. He's got a mission. He says, who should we send on this mission? And, you know, angels probably don't want to get shut down again because it hurt last time. And they're saying, I don't know. And then Isaiah pops in. He says, I'll go. I'll send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Right? I'm pretty sure God knows who the best person to send is. But there's um, this, this, these weird images about God that he, he just loves to hear from his creation. Right? He didn't create us so that he would have to do everything because where's the relationship in that? God is a relational God. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so at the beginning of the series, when I opened it up, I was, uh, I was talking about how we're going to go over some of the things that the Israelites did, and it was mostly bad. You know, there, there's a lot of lessons that we could learn from the wrong things that they did. We're not going that way today. We're actually going to look at some of the things that went right, but we're skipping right on over into the book of Joshua. 
so we're going to start Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Um, but I'm, I will ask that uh, as I read the scripture, I think it would be cool if you guys participated in it with me rather than just receive it. So if you could stand while I just go through this first little passage. I know it's Sunday morning. You didn't plan on exercising today. It just feels better for me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, here we go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over to this Jordan, and you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving them. To the people of Israel, every place, um, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. For the wilderness, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards uh, the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I have swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do in according, um, careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to it all that it is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And I have, not commanded, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for I, the Lord, am with you, wherever you go. Okay, thank you. You guys can sit down. So Joshua, if you don't know who Joshua is, um, he, he was, well, it says at the beginning, he was Moses's assistant, right? So last week, Kristen preached about how Moses, get, they get to Mount Sinai and Moses has to trek up and down the mountain like a million times and the presence of God is on the mountain and um, nobody else except for Moses and a select few are able to go up the mountain because God is so glorious and we're so not. They didn't have the Holy Spirit back then and if they tried, they would die. Okay, so Joshua was the one that was stationed at the bottom of the mountain in order to, to guard that. He was assisting in the things that God had given to Moses. Earlier on, Joshua and Caleb together are the ones that are sent by Moses as spies to spy on the promised land. So they leave Egypt, they go to Sinai. After Sinai, they go to the promised land, right? And, and they're going to scout it out before they decide to bring everybody in. And so Mo, uh, Joshua and Caleb come back and they say, okay, there's giants in the land. And, I, you know, like there's giants, right? Picture that how you will. Literal giants or we're just either way. They're saying we are outmatched for what is in the land that God has promised us. We do not qualify to take it over. Okay, and so we're outmatched, but they said, but we can do it because God is on our, hand, on, on our side. God is with us. We can do it, right? 
And so they bring this report back to the people of Israel, and then the people decide that uh, that's too scary. We're going to die. If we do this, if we go into this land that God has promised us, these giants are going to, that's going to be the end of Israel, right? And so they turn and then end up wandering through the desert for 40 years. And I I said this last time I preached, and it's kind of harsh, but the reality is that the reason why they wandered for the length of time that they did is there was a generation that needed to pass in order for them to be able to go into the promised land. Everybody that said no, no, we don't want it. No, God, we're not going to do the actions. We're not going to do the things because it's scary that you called us to do. Um, We're no longer allowed to enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. It was estimated that they were the only two of that generation that were allowed to enter in the promised land. And, um, and that does bring a little bit of gravity into our own relationship and our own walk with God, right? You got to think that when God calls you to something and it's scary, he's with you, he's for you. But if you don't take it, he gives it to the next generation, And we don't want that to be us because God's blessings are meant for you. But they will pass should you let them. Um, So they're only two allowed into the the promised land. But again, as I mentioned, there's this aspect of our relationship with God that is a partnership. He wants to partner with us. Um, And and it can feel kind of wrong to look at yourself as a partner with God. I mean, it's kind of confusing sometimes. Even Jesus, when he says, I can't, if I go, if I don't go, this is before he ascended to heaven, he says, if I don't go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, God himself and Holy Spirit cannot come. And he calls him the helper, right? Even there's the indication of this, of this partnership, but it can feel wrong because we understand, obviously, that uh, he's like up here, and we're like down here, okay? The Bible even says that earth is God's footstool. Like it's just painting a picture of his majesty and how great he is. And um, it says also that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than, all thought, than, than our thoughts. Like we just don't even compare. And so the idea of partnership can seem wrong because when we think of partners, you think about two people, Generally, you know, at least in, in, our, in our terms, we think of two people generally that equate coming together for a common goal. And it can feel wrong because we understand that we are not equal to God. But partners put in a joint effort. You bring something, I bring something. A joint effort to reach a common goal. It was partnership. That's why God didn't do everything for the Israelites. That's why he didn't pop them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Because there's something in the partnership that's greater than the outcome of a circumstance. Partners trust each other. We need to trust God, but God also trusts us. Is it weird thinking that God would place trust in you? (laughs) I do. I think it's weird. I look at my kids, I'm like, this is weird that God trusted you into, into me, you know? When we had our daughter, 
Kristen looked at me and she's like, it's weird that you have a daughter. I said, what? Like, you have the same one. She's like, it makes sense for me to have a daughter, but not you. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? I understood. I get it. It does, it does not make sense for me to have a daughter, but I do. And I'm entrusted. Um, she's entrusted to me. And there's a gravity to that. But in partnership, there's mutual trust. And depending on the type of partnership, whether business or life, um, will require a different level of intimacy or knowing, right? You need to know who you're in business with. You know, if it's a business partnership, you need to know if they've got enough fuel in the tank and they're willing to go the distance for whatever you're in business partnership with. If it's life partnership, well then, you need to know a lot more details about that person. You need to be able to open yourselves up to them and be known and have them do the same to you so that you may know them and have that intimacy. You need to be able to share your hopes and your dreams and your emotions with somebody. And a little side note, I'm, I'm just going to talk to the fellas here for a second because I'm a guy. But uh, anger is not your only emotion, okay? <laughs> um, anger, anger, I think as guys, it's easy for us to be angry. And if you're not like me, congratulations. You can tune out for a quick second, okay? But I think oftentimes guys, or anybody actually really who struggles with anger will cover things with anger. But we're, the reason why we do that is for us, 99.9% .9 of the time, legit stat, it's not. We feel anger it's as a secondary emotion. Our anger is covering up one of two other emotions. That's fear and sadness. Anger is your secondary emotion. It covers up fear and sadness generally, like 90% of the time, which is pretty much all the time. Okay, and the reason why, again, this isn't really part of my sermon. I'm going down a rabbit trail a little bit. But the reason why um, we do that is because that learning, and it might not be anger for you, it might be something else, is that in your most vulnerable state, which is generally childhood, you were in an unsafe environment emotionally, and you used anger to blanket over to keep yourself safe. And now it's become a habit that you do. Whenever your brain feels, oh, we're about to be anxious, or oh, we're about to be, maybe not, and maybe anxious is another secondary emotion. We're about to be sad, we're about to be scared. Click, now I'm angry, and I'm protected, and you don't really get to say anything damaging to me, because I'm angry, I have the control. Or I'm anxious, I have the control. Anger is a secondary emotion, and what that does is it doesn't just stay in its camp. It travels over into your spiritual life, and it insulates between you and what God would have for you as well. Okay? We sang that song earlier, and it said, open the doors up. Right? Anger shuts the doors. This is joy. This is the anger feelings. It's like an automatic door. You shut one, the other shuts two. And that's not where you were ever meant to be, but that's where you are. And um, partnerships require you to share your emotions. Partnerships in life and partnership with God requires you to, to, to open that up. Unfortunately, 
most of this stuff comes from childhood because that was when we were in our most vulnerable state. That's when the, the trust that was placed over us didn't plan out, didn't pan out. God is our father. And he's a father whose heart is patient and he wants to gently guide us um, through, through processes. You know, I am going to tie that into my sermon, actually. So there is this concept of power first versus love first, okay? So um, I'm going to explain that a little further because I know it can be confusing, okay? Growing up in unsafe environments, right, means that you may have grown up in a power first environment, uh, um, under power first people, okay? Which if ends up meaning really emotionally, that you feel like you're someone to manage rather than someone to love, right? Now you look at your relationship with God as I am someone to manage rather than someone to love. We will view God the Father based on where we came from in, our, in a vulnerable state, okay? Look at the Israelites. When they were with Egypt, they were enslaved. They were totally under someone else's power, unable to do a whole lot for themselves. And in that state, they were living power first, a power first life. Their relationship with Egypt was power first, and it left them damaged. But God is not a power first God. He is a love first God, okay? Power requires a need. No need, no power. When God created us, he was 100% fully self-sustaining, no need, not lacking anything. He was good to go. Some people describe it as God was love the giver, love the receiver, and love itself within the Trinity. So when he created us, he did not create us out of any sort of need. Had he done that, our purpose would be to fill that need, which means our relationship with God positionally as humanity, he would be a power first God to us. That means that his first thing that he did in creating us was based out of a need. But because he was fully self-sustained, that means he's love first God. If you don't need something and you choose to have it, or you choose to make it, that means you want it. If you don't need it and you choose to make it, that means you want it. God wanted humanity. God wanted you. He created first out of a position of love. And we need to remind ourselves all the time that God is love first. We may when we say that, but oftentimes we, we feel that he is power first when we look at our relationship to him. Especially if you came from an unsafe environment such as the Israelites did when they were leaving Egypt. It's, it's, it, you know, we live in a fallen world and we, do, we need to have forgiveness. Um, and, the, and the truth is, is that 
when, when you came into this world, you're not convenient. Like, I have kids, and I didn't have them because of how convenient they are. <laughs> Everything is harder, literally. Daily common tasks have become difficult, but they're, they're not convenient. But a parent's first instinct is to love their child, and that, that goes across all of nature. You see that in the animal kingdom, too. You know, maybe not all animals. Some of them are mean, but... A parent's first instinct is to love their child. And some, um, but, but things don't always go according to plan. That doesn't mean that that love wasn't there. Sometimes it just means that they didn't know how to show it. But though you were born inconvenient, you know, it, it, it's, you were loved. And a good father is okay with being inconvenienced. God is okay with dragging you along on the things that he has and he wants to do, right? Like the other day, Kristen's car, the blinker was going out. Um, it wasn't going out, it was out. And so I took Caden and I made him do all the work. <laughs> but I told him what to do. It took a long time, right? And, um, but at the end, he was... Kind of, he was just proud of himself that he changed a light in mom's car. And he's like, anytime one of these lights go out, mom, he goes inside. He's like, you let me know, because I'll change it. <laughs> Which is great, because now I don't have to do it. <laughs> but, uh, but it was bonding for us. In these moments of inconvenience, he gets to know me, and I get to know him. And we get to progress in our relationship. I, uh, if you're thinking, you know, geez, why is Ben talking about our childhoods? We all need to realize, no matter how buried we try to make them, that uh, there's a good chance you're affected by it. And there's an area of your life that God needs to redeem in order for you to know him as the father that he actually is, rather to view him through the parent that you had or didn't have. God is not absent. God is not legalistic. He's not punishing or one who wants to just shame. He's not inconvenienced by you, though you are an inconvenience. God could do things a lot faster if we weren't there. Israelites viewed God through a lens of Egypt. What is your Egypt? We all have one. You know when they made the golden calf, right? When they made the golden calf in the desert, they, it magically popped out of the fire, and then they, Aaron said, he looks at it and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. I, I, they knew not to make idols, but they were just doing what they had seen done in Egypt because they had forgotten who God really was. They had forgotten who, that he was love first and not power first. And so they were acting in the way that they had just learned to act in their vulnerable state. And they said they put God in this box of a, 
of a calf in the image. And I think part of the reason God says, no, make, don't make any idols of me, is don't put me in a box. Don't contextualize your version of who I am. And that's what the Israelites did. They said, God, the one that brought us out of Egypt, he's a cow. And this cow brought us out of Egypt and, and, and they put God in a box of the things that they learned. We do the exact same things. We do it for longer than we think that we do it. We are constantly in a state of God undoing this and undoing this and undoing this. And, and that's because he's love first. He will pursue you again and again and again, again and again and again until the day that you die. Because he's patient. He is not inconvenienced by you, but he's a good father that wants to take you along and do the work with you so that you can bond with him and get to know him and he can get to know you and you have this partnership. And it happens every time, every time that he wants to take us somewhere new. You are not someone to to be managed, but rather you are someone to be loved. Um, God is first going for your heart. And then after goes for the action. The thing that happens when you've been been given this power first lens, you guys got the whole power first, love first thing? I explained it good, good, yeah. Okay, so you got this power first lens and you're pursuing a relationship with God, you will constantly be asking, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How do I please you? What do I need to do to make you happy, Lord? What is my action? What do I need? How do I perform to, in order to, to make you love me more? That comes from a power first lens, right? Where, where God is not immediately seeking for your action. Yes, you need to clean some stuff up in your life, but he's after your heart first. Okay, so like, um, I saw this from somebody else, but there's a guy who came up to a pastor and he asked him, hey, God, do I need to stop smoking weed in order to become a Christian? And the pastor said, no. And maybe some of you listening whoa, right? And the pastor said, no, you don't. And then in in this meeting, the guy's like, I don't think you understand. Like, pulls out some marijuana. He says, this, do I need to stop this in order to become a Christian? And the pastor says, you don't, which was confusing. He says, "Let let me put it to you this way. When you go to take a shower, do you clean yourself first? Or is that why you're going to take a shower? Obviously, right? So obviously you're going to take a shower to clean. When you come to Jesus, you don't have to put these acts on. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do things to clean yourself up before you get there. That's why you're going. And once you meet him and you get to know his heart and you build that intimacy and trust with your God, if there's anything in your life that needs to be cleaned out, you and him can work that out. God is working on your lens first. 
He wants your heart first. And then actions come after that. Actions are not the most important. But our lens inverses those sometimes. If I perform, if I do this, if I act this way, God, then you will love me. And that, what that does, if you hold that lens throughout your walk with God, is you'll feel shame all the time. Every time you do something wrong, every time you slip up, you're going to say, well, I screwed it up, Lord. I'm dirty again. Now you don't love me. And you have this power-first lens, and it's, it can be debilitating. I guess I was, I was going to talk about some of the things the Israelites did right. So, um, <clears throat> verse 2 of uh, Joshua 1, 1-9 said, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he says to Joshua, Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all its people, into the land I am giving them. He said, speaking in current tense, the land that I am giving them. Right now, the land still is riddled with the enemies, right? Like there's, he, he hasn't cleaned it up or anything. He said, go into the land that I am giving you. On this journey, as you, as you walk with God and you're asking him, you know, and he, he calls you out to something, and you begin this walk with him, right? That you pray for something, Lord, bring us to the promised land. And you ask him for an oak tree, but he gives you an acorn. He gives you the seed form of your promise. And, and we get it, and you say, well, that's not what I asked for. This is, looks different. Right? And, um, and a love first God says, no, we're going to plant it and we're going to work the ground together and we're going to grow this tree, you and I. Right? Said, Joshua, take the Israelites into the land that I am giving them. Positionally, the, the, the oak tree is yours, but it doesn't look like it should. And he's taking them into Israel, but it doesn't look like it's theirs. We need to have, from a position of knowing his heart, is we can see the oak tree off in the distance. We can see the promise. But it doesn't really become about the promise. It's about our relationship with God. God wants your heart first, and then your actions. He goes on um, reading in uh, verse 3. He, he lays out all the land. He says, every place on the soul, from the sole of your feet tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, even to where the sun goes down, will be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. There, 
there is a, this verse is, is quite popular. We even chose it as Caden's, uh, like our son Caden, you know, we picked a verse for them because maybe we're trendy Christian people, I don't know. But when they were born, we picked a verse for them and said, hey, this is your verse. And I don't think I ever realized how emotional this is. When you think about God as a good father wanting to take you along in the journey, right? Not simply to accomplish a task, but to journey with you, you might read this differently. If you look at starting in um, verse number five, you, you could get a sense of how he would be encouraging and comforting Joshua rather than just telling him facts, right? Because if you come from a power first place, there's an emotional piece of you that might be missing a little bit. Verse five, no man will be able to stand with you all the days of your life, before you all the days of your life. Remember when I was with Moses and all the things that I did with him? Just like that, just like I was with him, I'm gonna be with you too. This is scary and it's dangerous. And I know you're scared, but I'm gonna, I'll be with you every step of the way. How many of you guys have comforted your kids like that? Right, hey, buddy, I know you're scared, but it's gonna be okay. I'm here and I know it's gonna be okay. You need to trust me. But what we neglect to do is we, ne- we neglect to put ourselves on the other side of that conversation. We know how it feels to try and comfort a little kid, but we forget that there's a God doing the same thing to us. Just like I was with him, I'll be with you. I'm never going anywhere. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere. You are safe because I'm here. Now you need to be strong. You need to have courage because you are going to cause this people to go into the promised land, okay? When all the Israelites one day are in the promised land, why? What was the cause? He says to Joshua, you, because you. He's saying this partnership, okay? Yes, it's my promises. And yes, this is impossible without me, but I am making your hand stronger, Joshua. You're going to cause everybody to go into this promised land, You're going to cause them to inherit the land that I swear to their fathers. Now only be strong and very courageous. This isn't saying that matter-factually. He's not saying, Joshua, just be strong and courageous, and well, I'll be there. No, be strong. Be strong and courageous. He's getting down to his level. Be careful to do all of the things that I gave for Moses to you. Don't turn away from it to the right or to the left that you'll have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, know it. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Get to know me. Don't let me go. I'm never going to leave you. But now he's saying, don't let me go. Meditate every day and every night on every, all the laws and everything that I gave Moses. Right back then, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. So today we pray, we receive Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit 
able to instruct us and guide us as we go. And we need to tap into that. We're going to a Holy Spirit series. James is preaching next week, and then we're starting it. And we get to revisit this intimacy stuff. But he's saying, I won't let you go. Don't let me go. The law was the means by which they had in order to do that. I won't let you go. Don't let me go. Do... um, Be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then, here's interesting too, you will make your way prosperous. There's a partnership. He says, listen to my laws and I'll make your way prosperous. He said, do what I say and you will make your way prosperous. God's not looking to do everything for us. He wants us to have some skin in the game. But the reason is not just simply to accomplish action. Because he loves hearing from his creation. He loves teaching and imparting and then seeing us walk on our own two feet. Not that we lose dependence on him, because as soon as we start feeling that way, he calls us into something else crazy that's beyond us, and you re-up your partnership again. That's not for us to manage. He does that. You'll make all your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I will always be with you. If you've ever felt that comforting a kid, just picture God as that's what he does for you. From a place of knowing the Father, then we can come into um, agreement with what he has for our life. Worship team, you guys can come back up. The idea of partnership doesn't mean that we no longer follow God's leadership. Even in Gethsemane, Jesus said, not as I will, but as, as you will, Lord. If you follow the story of Joshua, um, if, you, if you read the book all the way through, after Jericho, it gets pretty boring. Like Jericho is like the hype moment, right? Where they march around the city seven times, um, on the last day, they blow the trumpet and God causes the wall to fall. It's very big and exciting. But after that, it, it's just a bunch of list of uh, a list of a bunch of places that they conquered, and then it's a, a list of all of the places after that where every Israelite went and dwelt in different places in the Promised Land. And at the end of the book of Joshua in Joshua twenty-one. Right after this continuous pattern of Joshua knowing that God is with him all the time and knowing God. Joshua 21, verse 4 through 45 says, Thus the Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their, um, all their enemies into their hand, 
not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. All the things that God had promised to the Israelites happened. It came to pass, right? And that part of Joshua that I said was boring is fulfillment of each and every individual specific promise. It gets very specific. And it's the same with you. God loves you. He wants this relationship with you in partnership with you. He's not looking to just do it for you. He gives you the seed version of the promise so that you and him can do some work together. And there's one thing that Jesus did without any of our help, and that's salvation. But after that, it's all about relationship and connecting with you. Kristen preached the message last week about having no idols before him, right? And sometimes if you come from a lens of a place, he's saying, from power first. If, you, if you've just come out of Egypt, you'll say, why do you want to be top spot? But love first, you look at that, have no idols before me, is that I am the best thing for you. I am for you, is what God is saying. And together, we can work and fulfill these promises. I'll never forsake you, but don't let go of me either. Have no idols before me, don't let go of me. So, If it's you today, and, and if this is, um, if you feel you, you may have a power first lens of God, let me just pray for you, and then we'll get into some more, some more awesome worship. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you have for us, what you give to us, Lord God. Thank you that you are a good father, and you want to journey with us for our sake, because it's easier for you to do things on your own, but you, you love us so much that you'd rather go the route that allows you to have relationship with us. Lord, help us to understand this love that you have for us, God. We, we pray through that as this comes, we can surrender our life to you. We can surrender our every day to your ways, Lord Jesus, and that we can journey with you and understand that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.